Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the story of O of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. The Cult is Alive, played in its entirety on Classic Rock Radio. Uh, I, I mean, that's that's too close to real. <laughs> it's, it makes your skin crawl, right? Welcome <laughs> to Radio Fenris. Um, it's just... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I am the black metal guy, a.k.a. Screaming in 8K. <laughs> that's that's going to that's gonna be sick when uh, when Napalm Records and all of its uh, shitty German-like joke folk metal stuff uh, starts being played in 8K on YouTube. Mm. So you can, you can okay. really get perfect fidelity on the xylophone solos or whatever the fuck they're doing these days. Yeah, yeah, I want to see the new uh, Wind Rose video with perfect, uh, perfect resolution on those uh, dwarven breastplates. Is that a is that an actual band name, or did you Unf- just make that up? Unfortunately, it's an actual band name. I think it's one of the dumbest band names I've ever heard because I think it might be supposed to be a w- Rising Wind. It's kind of a cool idea. I like wind. I like rising. Who doesn't? <laughs> but um, it's I th- feel like it's kind of supposed to be a pun. Uh, this is it's shit that gets pushed in the YouTube like if you're like not signed into YouTube but the you know it knows you like metal so it shows you random shit yeah 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 like uh so like this is um it's like Napalm literally Napalm Records uh they're a band from Italy and they seem to be at least at this point entirely themed about dwarves fuck that sucks it really sucks and not like not even like Lord of the Rings dwarves. They're like fucking World of Warcraft dwarves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 they like beer and they're funny and short. Yeah, yeah. It's miserable. <laughs> yeah, totally well, miserable. Did I talk um, to you about that time? Uh, it was, they wrote a song called Oh, they wrote a song that got memed somehow. Maybe this is how I know about it. Called Diggy Diggy Hole. Oh no, because that's a co- oh, it's that's a like, song based on a meme. Yeah, yeah, it's from uh, some, it's from Smosh or some fucking YouTube gaming thing. Uh, they came up with some joke yes. song and then they covered it. Yes. God. So I, I made, I saw, watched out of morbid curiosity. I watched the video for this once. I recommend it to everyone if you'd like to cringe for, uh, in, in, until you can't cringe anymore. Well, did I tell you? I, uh, I think I don't know if I talked about this on the show, but one time, uh, me and my buddy. Uh, who works at the same company as me? We're working from uh, my house, and we got to some downtime. And I was just like, "Let's let's see what Napalm Records is doing," because we oh both <laughs> we both hate you know like modern like pathetic gamer folk metal shit. And uh, we just started going through Napalm Records' most recent uploads, and you will find bands that no metalhead has ever heard of. But it's just like stage fillers for the fourth stage at Vakken type mm-hmm. shit. You know, just the the most reductive, obnoxious joke folk metal. Stuff that makes Corpaclani look like fucking inferno. You know, no, it's the like... Consumer base, the consumer base for these people, for these bands, is like gamers and furries. 
<laughs> well, but you repeat yourself. <laughs> well, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, there's a Venn diagram there. Uh, it's, it's a lot it's like a just circle. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, no, it's a, it's miserable. And b- what was fascinating, though, is like me and my buddy, um, you know, we're both, uh, he's the uh, brother of uh, the drummer in one of my bands. And uh, we're both, you know, really into extreme metal and metal in general and we hadn't heard of zero of these bands no so, i know what you mean it's like it's different you know there's the world of like band camp you know metal friendship club right that's one world and there's the world that's one sort of non-world of metal there's like youtube metal atmo black which is kind of the same thing yeah there's yeah. it's a different parallel you know, universe yeah it's a different parallel universe for sure and it's just like, but I think it's like, it's only listened to people by, it's only like listened to like boomers in Austria. You know? I don't think boomers, like, if you were a boomer, you would have grown up like listening to like, uh, maybe not good metal, but much more substantial bad metal, you know, like the bad metal for most of the seventies, right? The bad metal before everything before Motorhead. exactly no it's a well you'd be surprised you 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 go to a you go to a city like mine with a more substantial metal scene you see what some of those boomers are into and you're like fuck man we should cut off social security now you don't deserve this (laughs) isn't it also weird that like the two biggest dork metal labels like nuclear blast at least does have some credible extreme metal acts right like they have they have like ruins of beverass but like both of these like goofy mainstream labels are named after like atrocious war cri- atrocious weapons atrocious war crime weapons of American Imperium right yeah. nuclear blast and fucking napalm records it's like, like the material wow, should really, be so I, much cooler <laughs> I re- yeah exactly yeah, it should be like ancient orange fucking you know Sodom um, and I'm sure they were named in that spirit because but like yeah like how how far they have fallen. Um. <laughs> well, fortunately on this show, we don't have to worry about any of that shit. In fact, we have something very special that has just returned to the metal scene. But before that, it's very important that you give me the 16 Ooh. digits on the front of your credit card, the three-digit security code on the back, and the four-digit expiration date. And you can do that over at Patreon. Uh, where $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where uh, I lately we've just been sharing clothes with images of 9-11 on it. Things have gotten a little bit weird in your absence, Black Metal <laughs> guys. So. And I, I did it kind of backwards. And then if you're not quite that committed, you just want to see a little bit more of what we're about, feel free to follow us on uh, social media. Me, the death metal guy on Facebook at Terminus Podcast and the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. But let's get rid of all that unity shit, all that profitable, good time Patreon grift shit. And let's talk about some very important friends of ours who have put out a new EP and black metal guy. God knows we've been talking about this band periodically on the podcast for two years and it's finally happened. Who is back? Ah, uh, Avski has returned. Yes, we, baby. We, we we called this, I think, at least a year ago. I think you um, said that you were seeing some like stirrings from their mm-hmm. camp that they were going to be on their way back. Yeah. 
And it just seemed like the right time. It like, yeah, so, you know, it's one of those situations where everyone has either had their kid or done their time. And, you know, now they can get, you know, get back to, uh, get back to being in an extremely antisocial black metal band. Uh, So this this new EP is called Sjukdom Akdod, Sickness and Death. Um, uh, I was disappointed, really, by how many sort of, like, how few sort of, like, COVID's going to kill everyone and that's a good thing records (laughs) And so thank God they came out with one. Um, They'll leave it to these guys. Um, for now, it is independent on Bandcamp. I bet someone will pick it up. I could see it being put out on like the uh, that good imprint of Regain that does a lot of underground stuff. What is it? Uh, I'm gonna fucking forget the name. Uh, I don't Helter even remember. Helter Skelter. Helter Skelter. Uh, I could see Helter Skelter putting it out. Or Moribund will pick them back up or something. Mm-hmm. You know. But yeah. So um, this is uh, you know. Uh, yeah, so how to explain... So this EP, it's, it's, I think it's pretty clearly just like a warm-up round, right? Mm-hmm. Or a, a warning shot. Um, these are probably riffs that in some form they've had hanging around for a while. Uh, or just shit they kicked, decided to kick out together in the garage a, a couple years ago, right? Uh, and I think it was written in 2020. So maybe, you know, uh, so peak plague, they recorded this. Um and uh so so yeah so how do we describe um we've got some ways we've brought them up on the show before as a good example of what we call the trench coat era of black metal in the early 2000s yeah um and one specific take on it which is kind of um uh this style of uh extremely punky uh, Scandinavian BM that's like sort of sort of faithful to the for the early 2000s relative with relatively faithful to the second wave mm-hmm. but really accenting the uh, the underlying punk and hellhammer tendencies and a lot of those other bands and also you know very close to the Orthodox scenes happening in Sweden at that time as well as to um, DSBM, mm-hmm. um, in some ways, or to some degree, uh, the more antisocial side of DSBM. Um, and there are really three bands that fit this niche, right? Uh, I'd say Avski, Kraft, and Catharsis. Mm-hmm. Of those three, uh, Kraft and Catharsis were the ones that were popular, yeah. right? Popular with people outside, like the actual black metal underground, um, and you know, Kraft had more kind of D-beat, Bathory, punky stuff of the thing that has kind of become very popular. Um, it was a little closer to say the cult is alive, right? Um, mm. uh, and uh, Catharsis had a great sound, right? They were like just crushing in the red mayhem, right? However, neither of them had very good songwriting, really forgettable songwriting. Uh, and Avski was nastier and punker by far than either of them. Yeah, um, it was a uh, Avski uh, was very dedicated to channeling uh, caustic asshole energy. Yes, <laughs> a, yes, like yes. you, you get the sense that I, I say this completely affectionately that the guys behind this are real pieces of shit. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
which is great. I mean, if you're going to do this kind of like caustic, punky black metal, yeah, I should think you're probably just a fucking asshole in real life, you know? Yeah. Um, very, you know, very sort of spitting on the sidewalk energy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, th- this is, um, their sort of calling card song off of the record Malignant is called Fuck Your Values, Fuck Your Beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've played that before as an interlude on the show. Um, and uh, that's a jam. And if you if you listen to that song, you'll immediately hear that these guys were really... Gigi Allen is very popular with black metal people, uh, mm-hmm. but this band really is the Gigi Allen of black metal. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if they were particularly known for stage theatrics or antics, they, they weren't, I don't, I was maybe too young to know if they were, but this was not an image first band. No, this certainly not. Way aesthetic, you know, not drama, not aesthetics. This was just about really nasty songs. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of verging on black and roll, but this really doesn't rock. It just stomps and crushes. Right? Yeah, um, it's a, it, people, people who don't know crust punk will call it crusty. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and, it's, and I guess I guess you could argue that it is in the way that the most metal kind of crust yeah. bands are. Like, you know, it's it's very driller killer. There's a lot it's of like very, that kind of energy. It's very you know, Gigi Allen has been godfathered into crust because he was just such a dick, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, not well. I, they probably have a problem with a lot of that, but because he was just such a miserable dude, they really like him, right? Uh, and um, you know, he's. So he's sort of part of that. And I mean, this, uh, Avski has that great quality that, you know, bands like Dark Throne and even Emperor had of sounding like Discharge without remotely sounding like Discharge. <laughs> like, like Kraft sounds a lot, or sorry, Avski sounds a different five syllable, five letter name. Uh, Avski sounds a lot like Discharge without really cloning it. However, on this new EP, I feel like a lot of the signature aspects of the sound are dialed back. Um, possibly. I mean, it's also just... I, I get where you're coming from, but it's also it's just such a radically different time. I mean, the, the last new material that Avski produced was in 2010. I mean, it's it's been a dozen years since they've released, like, new material. There's only been, like, re-releases and compilations since then. Um, and let's be honest, I mean, when's the last time you went back and listened to, you know, Malignant or Scorn or something like that? You know? Well, my friend, I went back and... Probably, like, yesterday. So, for <laughs> yeah. you, yeah, yeah. I went yeah, back so. and listened to Malignant three days ago to cross-reference it for the show, because I was curious. Um, the new stuff does sound different, so... Fuck Your Values is just this driving, mostly mid-tempo song. I, listening to that song again, I'm just like, my God, this completely informed my sense of like riffing. Like, <laughs> how I play riffs and whatever. Even the blasting riff there. It's got kind of this like crushing mid-tempo blast. Um, it, But like the other songs on there are not as just kind of stompy. They can work more like conventional black metal songs. But the things that are interesting about it... Um, there can be some it's all very deliberately stripped down riffing but there's some of it that does you've associated Avski with Soren a few times I don't think there are any personnel connections but we also wouldn't know because <laughs> Soren <laughs> has remained pretty mystery shrouded um uh 
but there are a lot of there's a lot of nasty kind of uh keening disharmonic melody on it that's kind of soreny just played way lower on the fretboard and way fuzzier mm-hmm. um and they make a ver- you know it's the epitome of what you call blocky song structures oh yeah right? yeah they make a virtue out of it and the weird thing is this ep very short songs right and you would think punky black metal very short songs uh, Malignant, almost everything is over five, probably much over, far over that. There's like eight-minute songs on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have the their eight-minute songs with maybe four to five riffs uh, that are moving these really long blocks and just sort of just crush into one another. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's deliberately stripped down and bare bones. You're not going to get sort of like high-flying sacramentum riffs and you're not gonna get like um uh a particular kind of like well yeah you're not you're not gonna get that sort of thing and you're not gonna get like elaborate developmental long song structures but it's it's more like when i went back and listened to it it was in some ways more like normal black metal than i anticipated um, yeah, but, thi- but this new one is more like that in a different way. The a lot of them, it's less muscular, I think, or a lot, and it's kind of um, it's a lot just more like the orthodox stuff that was happening in Sweden at the same time as Avski. Yeah, mm. well, I, th- I think that maybe something to consider is just the idea that if if Avski as a project is sort of like. Is sort of like based on being inherently reactionary, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. to what's going on in the rest of black metal. That's a good point. Then, then maybe this move kind of makes sense. Uh, maybe, maybe they can't. Oh. It, it's difficult to. You can't reject uh, just because there's there's so many bands now that kind of sound like Avski did. You know what I mean? So it's like to reject modern black metal, they have to kick out in a slightly different direction now. I mean, because I mean that's always been part of the essence of Avski was a sort of like fuck off nowadays black metal quality. I th- I think that's a very good point. I mean, like, there's nobody who really sounds like them because if they did, all that fucking black and crust shit would actually be good, right? <laughs> there's stuff. There's stuff claiming to fill the same niche. Yeah. Right. And, you know, uh, if they released stuff that sounded like that, if they released their old stuff now, it might be popular, right? And yeah. I think I think and they, they don't, want, don't that. want that. <laughs> no, fuck that. No. So let's let's listen to it and check it out. And, yeah. You know, uh, we will. Yeah. Well, all right. So I, I think um, uh, I, I agree with you that this feels like a warm up round. I mean, this is a really short EP. It's just four songs. It's just a hair over 15 minutes. But um. I will say I think you agree. The back two tracks are the stronger ones because those are the ones that we sample. I like sampled. the first riff on. I like the first riff on the album because it's just this super nasty Soren type thing. But then it just goes away. And yeah, other than that, the first couple tracks are kind of unremarkable. Yeah, they kind of blow by. But then we get to uh, uh, Livet's Itterstad Dog, and boy, oh boy, do you want just like caustic impossibly arrogant retard black metal riffs well baby let's go (laughs) sounds good
<laughs> I, I, I am still firmly convinced there's something in the water when it comes to black metal vocals right now. And this, for Absky, it could just be a matter of, like, age. You know, it's, you know, it's 12 years since the last new release. But these vocals definitely just sound drunker and, like, pukier and just more awful and antagonistic than they ever had before. You know, it's, I swear, everywhere I... I think it's also the times, you know? I think everyone is infected with a case of fuck this shit. Yeah, everyone, nobody gives and, a... Like, because like, some of those vocals but, sound like almost like Mons Veneris vocals, you know? Just the sort of, like, yeah, puke wailing, well, you know? The, the spirit is very close to Morte Incandescente. Yes, yes, yes. That's yes. when I said sidewalk spitting. You well, know, this also, like, I, I'm also outside the bar and not stepping aside when people walk down the street. Yeah, yeah. And just like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. like vomiting just so the bouncers can't see you so they won't cut you off. You know, it's Attractive like, woman walks down the street. Don't stand aside. Sigma. <laughs> Yeah, that is the, this, this is uh, Sigma male grind set energy, this, this whole record. But um, I, I also just really like, um, like the spirit behind that main riff, just that big, chunky black and roll thing, but with that little sort of like freezing moon modifier mm-hmm. uh, throwaway phrase tucked in there. It's like... It seems like, yeah, yeah, just that, that, that kind of like gothic melody. Yeah, yeah that that little descending mm-hmm. arpeggio figure. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it's such a simple idea, but again, it's the kind of riff you only get when you've been doing this for twenty years. You know, it, it, it's just it's smart, it's sophisticated, it's channeling heavy metal, but it's also just really fucking stupid and mean. You know, <laughs> and that's that's awesome. You know. Absolutely, yeah. So I think you got the part that's the most like sustainedly stompy on this record. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's um, the the big RAC banger. On the yeah, record, yeah. You know? Other uh, other point about um, uh, other point about like the um, the vocals. It's like I think I had this in the notes somewhere, but like basically every place I tried to sample, someone is going blah. Yeah, yeah, because that's like, what black metal is about—is going yeah. black at cool yeah. moments. On, you know? on that track, I loved how he was hitting this. It's very vocal-driven music at this point. It kind of was before too, but like it kind of has to be because it's very stripped down. But like, this is a very vocal-driven EP, and the more you listen to them, the cooler. The way they're mi- they could be mixed with a little less reverb. I feel like to put them a little more up front. Well, I actually I um, think listening to this. Like, Listening to I this just, again, I'm pretty confident that this was like a live recording. Um, this is like mm-hmm. some mic set up in a garage. There's something about the quality of the reverb that suggests um, like a like aluminum siding kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And something about the whole vibe. I don't think this was recorded in a studio. I think this was a really good home recording in like a garage practice space kind of thing. Well, that's awesome, and I thoroughly approve. I. I, I guess I mean like um, some like some. It might actually have more to do with how the guitars are mixed, right? The guitar sound is th- it's thinner and more classically cold on this record than it was on the older stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it but like something about it. I don't when I listen. Th- there's something about the sound where when I listen to it, the vocals can just run together, kind of. Not because they're not super intense, but just because there's a lot of them. 
and they kind of, oh, maybe it's the vocals are fighting for the same sonic space as the guitar. Yeah, it sounds to me uh, like there's there's two layers of vocals a lot of the time, and, uh, you know, you get the, the sort of, it, if my theory about the production is mm-hmm. right, you've got so much natural reverb just bouncing mm-hmm. off all the surfaces mm-hmm. in this kind of, like, smaller room. Because um, you'll notice, like, when, when guitars start, it's like, they they accelerate in volume in this really distinct mm-hmm. way. That's sort of the reverb catching up cool. with the rest yeah, of yeah. the tone. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. So I so like the um, uh, but like anyway. Point being, once I, you really start to listen to it a few times and notice the vocals, they're insanely powerful, and <laughs> you know, and they have hooks built into them. So like in this track. In the one you sampled, he was doing things he doesn't do on the rest of the record, I think, which was like strong emphasis on this, yeah, like like that. That's like the this song thing. Whereas on the next one, the Phantom Carriage, it's a lot more about. So playing the riff to Blood Dawn by Marduk is always nice. Um, <laughs> uh, um, but um, there's this uh, there's this other thing going on. So um, there's a lot of nods to other bands on this record, which I think is like probably kind of deliberate. Yeah, like um, it's it's you know they're like they're war- they're warming up to return and they're like paying tribute to other sort of Swedish greats, and I think part of that is that there's more just like of this sort of classic second wave gothic melody stuff going on, like um, you know more kind of more things that sound like Dorian scales and stuff like that, or like very chromatic versions of minor scales or whatever. Uh, so um, here again, you get um, you know you get these these kinds of chromatic minor runs that have the same kind of tonality as that thing that you were saying sounded mayhemy on the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but but with that kind of like ripping kind of punk beat and those kinds of racing uh, minor chording, it sounds kind of dissectiony. Like really simplified dissection, yeah. Like really, just like basic elements of dissection, uh, main verse riff, um, and uh, 
And the title of the track, The Phantom Carriage, also signals that, I think. Like, that's like the Somberlight cover. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not, you know, who knows? Maybe it wasn't on purpose, but I don't think it's an accident. Um, and, uh, like, it, it feels like they're gesturing to these other, much more hi-fi black metal bands. Um, and even the... Uh, um, you know, they do a variation also in that thing the in the punky sequence you liked that you were saying is a four against two thing. They're doing a variation uh, on like a skank beat from Pentagram, I think, right? Something off Pentagram. Yeah, I could, I could definitely imagine. Yeah, it's like a like a slow down. Something like that, right? Yeah, it's like a like a slow down the gravel Cessnat or drummer on dog thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like that. So, um, and uh. So, so yeah, I don't know. That that's just something I noticed here is that this seems to be gesturing deliberately to some of the classics, um, as a maybe as a way of rebuilding guitar technique for the new stuff. Um, well, you see, and, uh, one thing that just strikes me listening to these samples again, you know, it's like Avski. I I see as a band that's like inherently kind of reactionary to nowadays black metal whatever time Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. um but my question is like is this a little could this maybe this could be too cool now maybe maybe people who are really into like new panzer war releases would be into this (laughs) it's like how does how does avsky stop this do they do they have to punch a woman on stage or something (laughs) It's uh, that, yeah, but what is it? That's the fucking um, that's the Deafago method, right? Uh. <laughs> hey, all, this is Brandon from Cromlech, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, and we are back from uh, talking about all sorts of things to talk about one thing: Diabolical Blood Swords by Theriomorph, out now on. At this point, the kind of uh, storied label, Terrator Possessions. Um, so Terrator is known for a particular kind of sound. They were one of those bands, one of those labels that was sort of holding it down for underground black metal at a time when those networks were not not that strong. Um, except maybe you know Finland would be one, or you know whatever. You know certainly. Uh, in, in you know in in the like late you know late oos early teens and stuff like that uh, and they sort of helped define the modern uh, the, the modern scene in a lot of ways uh, but the music associated with that label is very transitional uh, it's like orthodox black metal but very stripped down and punky and often with a greater emphasis on riffing than you would get in the more glitzy sort of song slash live performance oriented orthodox bands um and uh and so this was so this project has a long history with territor it was originally named as something like uh cornier uh that has an uh uh that that's if if i pronounced it as it was written we would have to blip it out bleep it out <laughs> um, it's uh but the um uh, but but it's uh, 
it was this sort of one-man project that released, did a couple records uh, in the late, you know, uh, late 00s, early teens, uh, the last one being Funereal Harvest in 2015. Uh, and I heard that one and I liked it a lot, so it stayed on my radar. Uh, it was this kind of raw orthodox thing uh, with something different, and that something different has to do with this guy's background. Uh, his stage name is in this project is, you know, Vinaya, but it's, it's also P.E. Pakane, and he's one half of Witzhaus, uh, which is one of just the best Finnish black metal bands that nobody talks about. Uh, Witzhaus is uh, sort of, just has incredible riffs, um, just really, really good riffs, and, uh, and it is thoroughly folky and epic, but also severe in a way that, you know, some of the more, uh, the, the, the certain satanic war master or Sargon's <laughs> melodies that have now become like, the tr are now known as like, oh, triumphant big riffs. Witzhaus is a, it delivers a similar kick, but in a much darker, nastier way. Um, it's, it's, it's midnight forest music, for sure. Um, and he was a drummer, uh, but he was also an active songwriting member. He contributed guitar stuff, and I'm sure helped write from the drums. It was a two-person project, so there was an intense collaboration. Um, uh, yeah, really strongly recommend checking out Witzhaus. Uh, but also because of the way the finish scene is, he was also the drummer for Horna on what is debatably their best record, Sano Yese Arele, and the bassist of Sargeist on what is almost certainly their best record, Let the Devil In. <laughs> right? uh, so this is someone who is uh, definitely someone in the Finnish black metal scene. And what he brings to this more... Uh, Swedish style, Swedish and French style, is a Finnish mastery of core tremolo riffing, right? Uh, as well as some stuff that's really distinctive to him. Uh, I remember that on the Funereal Harvest, there was this advanced compositional stuff that was really uncommon then that we've started to notice cropping up more in the last couple of years. So I think he was doing melodies with like extra bars and odd time signatures. Uh, playing melodies on the drums, uh, which we'll get to a lot on this, um, and using this rhythmic openness and variation as a platform for long, strange, sinuous melodies uh, that had a kind of... Um, they weren't big, flowing hook riffs, but they were these kind of... Um, uh, just sort of like morphine, slithering, violent kind of... Uh, black, you know, classic, classic black metal riffs. Um, and you could define the sound as like sort of hypnotic blast beat drone. Um, so I was very interested to hear Theriomorph, which is basically the reincarnation of Cornier. What do you make of this one, Death Metal Guy? Um, this is a very weird record. Um, up front, one of the things I'd like to say is I would never guess this was Finnish. Or, and yep. I would never guess this was a guy with uh, a role in some of the defining Finnish bands. Uh, just because this is very outside of the standard kind of like melodic and songwriting conventions of the Finnish scene. Or what, mm -hmm. what have become those things over the past, you know, 10 yeah. years or so. <clears throat> yeah. um, this is really interesting. Uh, from kind of a 
this is a very top-down record. Uh, a lot of the most interesting stuff happens at a sort of high-level structural place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. M- moment to moment, I don't find this super exciting, but at the same time, this is distinctly not riff-based music. <laughs> Again, we're back to that old classic. This is, this is not to <laughs> yeah, me. But we both agree. Yeah, no, this, is, this isn't riff-based music. Um, this is very textural. It's kind of ambient in the way it's delivered, despite how aggressive it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And I guess as far as, like, f- fixing it somewhere within a constellation, I came with um, a Venn diagram of Funeral Mist, Black Death, and Inferno from uh, Chechia. Uh, and right in the middle of all three of those comes, uh, comes Theriomorph. So it, it's uh, it, it's heavily. Those all make sense. I don't know Inferno's earlier stuff, but I take your word for it. Well, I would say even the the last record uh, that we covered last year. Oh, um, in the sense that it's kind of psychedelic and droning. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that because it's more psychedelic and droning than either of those other two. It's got the, mm-hmm. the 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 weird rhythmic propensities of Black Death, and it also has just the kind of aggression and tradition of Funeral Mist. So you get yeah, a cr- you get this big cross section, and what you get is something that is sort of. Um, structurally droning and ambient and highly modern but from moment to moment is really indebted to kind of traditional second wave or orthodox melodic ideas um so that's really interesting as as far as how much i enjoy it as a record i it's not really my thing but that's no fault of the record uh, th- this guy is after very different things in black metal than what I'm usually interested in, but this is definitely a case where it's like, it's sort of like you with the doldrum. It's like, I highly respect this. I highly recommend it. Even if it's not my thing, like this is clearly extremely good music. It's just, um, I don't, there's not enough big retard riffs for me, <laughs> but I, I, I would also give it the caveat that this would not be a better record if it included big retard riffs for me, you know, right. It would yeah, be, exactly. it would be a lesser work if it had that. It's it's definitely after something sort of uh, elusive, um, and this is one of those few records I think that lives up to the orthodox thing of actually sounding kind of occult, right? You get yeah. the sense that this is actually sort of weird sex ritual music, <laughs> and, uh, with this sort of like sustained, mostly this kind of sustained uh, battering punctuated by these massive peaks of intensity um yeah and this is also this is well i would also like to say before we go on this is a drummer band i think uh this is very drum centered obviously this guy based on everything you're saying and just looking him up on the metal archives he's a multi-instrumentalist um but it feels like his heart kind of lies in the drums and uh we'll we'll get it well i guess i can get into that on my first sample if you like Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Um, so one thing we were talking about on the Funeral Mist record, which was your favorite of last year, was the weird, uh, kind of layered drum stuff with both real drums and, uh, drum machine work. Um, I'm not sure how it works on the Theriomorph record, but there's lots of sections with two separate percussion layers. Like this is an essential Mm. part of this project sound. So let's go to, uh, a song called Atigibus or Atigibus, a passage of cruel power. Um, 
And we're just going to go right to the beginning of this. And very quickly, you'll hear there's multiple layers of percussion and kind of the central riffing idea is really happening more on the drums than the guitars. So yeah, I, I, I think you can pretty distinctly hear uh, throughout most of that sample, there's a second layer of percussion, a second layer of uh, toms running over the more standard black metal beats. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, like an, an omnipresent feature of the record. This is not a one-off. This is something continuous through the whole album. And the kind of dry production pushes it to the background a little bit, but it's an essential quality of the music. There's a lot of significance placed on it, and I think, in a sense, the listener is supposed to be listening to these sort of rhythmic inflections primarily with some of the riffing pushed a little bit more to the background than we would typically imagine from a black metal record. So here's a question. Would you prefer having the drums further up front? I think I think in general in this record I would I'd prefer a slightly fuller production in general. Um, I just I, I listen to those big Tom runs, um, and I, I can hear what he's doing. But I wish they had a little bit more body, just so they would you know stand out, you know, fill in that kind of mid range a little bit more. Um, I don't think they necessarily need to be louder, but like a little bit of EQ adjustment I think would go a long way to making some of those features stand out a little bit more distinctly. 
Yeah, I suppose you could say that's the point. It's a cult. It's behind the veil. You're supposed to, not everyone's supposed to pick up on it. But I take your point. Um, I, something, I do really like the timber of this production, timbre, whatever, of this production. Um, like, this kind of like... I, I figured well, you would. This, this is yeah. your kind of production right here. <laughs> it, and it, it's buzzy, woody tone. Buzzing, woody, kind of, yeah, like dry dry but with fry around the edges of everything and mm-hmm. so i like the way this kind of like rattling way the drums sound if you could have that but also have it be louder i certainly don't think i'd object to that that would just sound cool that would be like ah it's a guy banging on some bones this this um, record is a little quiet it's a, it's kind well, of interesting the way so this is produced it's produced so it's produced unlike an orthodox record and a lot like a Vitzhaus record Hmm, which okay. is sort of buzzing, droning, and uh, l- like this, it asks you to turn it up. Um, and in that sense, it's very faithful to the way that the early 90s, a lot of the 90s Norse records were produced. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, Emperor, like the, you know, the Emperor EP is loud as shit. You just have to turn it way up. Um, and I, there's something similar. This is, when you turn this up, it is very loud. Um, but I think it's partly distinguishing itself from the more glossy take on this kind of sound. Say, like, the Offer Mod records that came out when he got out of prison. Like, the later ones. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which have some things to recommend them. But, uh, but yeah. the um, So, yeah, I, I take your point. I, I agree that especially there, the dr- real actions in the drums... The riffing is very restricted, and it's got some of the things that are kind of like, um, it might be good to quickly say, like, I think both of us find the standard orthodox riff form to be a bit just like, not our cup of tea, and maybe presenting certain kinds of compositional problems, or like just certain kinds of like, the way it works, um... Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get too much into it here, but, like, when it's presented in this way, you know, whereas you said it's these kind of blocky, angular chords, right? It's none of these, they're not meant, in this case, they are all, they're being foregrounded in the drums. They're not meant to be center stage. But just, like, the standard riff form for this genre, I usually don't find that engaging, and I certainly think that's true here. Uh, and I was thinking about it, and it, I think it has something to do with half-steps, how are you? So, like, the the intervals these melodies often center on, it's like the root, uh, the six, obvious, the minor six, obviously, and then one half step over the root and one half step under the root. And a lot of stuff just kind of glides down to that half step under the root and, like, hangs there or puts a lot of weight on it. Yeah, there's, I mean, I mean the, the, the stereotypical orthodox mm-hmm. riff for me is, like, get three kind of blocky angular four string chord shapes by blocky you mean lots of chords or lots of strings right yeah like 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 four strings and then arrange them in a kind of angular way but it's still it's still basically kind of like a regular minor second wave riff and then do kind of like a a weird techie run at the end to to let you know that this is weird you know it's also blocky in the way they're organized that is you can hear that these are like whole 
swollen half notes, right? Yes, yes. Um, they're sort of organized in uh, processional. At its best, that can give it a sort of mechanical processional majesty, right? You know, if you hear like Aosoth just sawing on four chords, it's like, and you're like, oh god, this is so heavy. Um, but here, you know, here it's got. This sort of way of sliding, I think, it it can create a very eerie atmosphere um, and a sort of otherworldly atmosphere and a kind of sinisterness. But if it's all that, the music can become a little slight and elusive. Like a little, yeah. like not quite, uh, it loses a bit of, by be, it gets too vampiric and loses some of that uh, werewolfy, uh, <laughs> werewolfy vim and vigor. Right. We're we're um, we're back to the we're back to the underworld debate. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Team Jacob. Um, but the um, uh, the the sort of the, and I thought about the differences. Those st- those intervals are really important in second wave Norse stuff, especially for instance in Mayhem, right? Yeah. But like, if you listen on Demisteris, um. Euronymous uh, is constantly changing that up with really majestic whole step stuff. You'll hear like two variants on the same phrase, and the second one will have a whole step. Or you'll hear some super epic Dorian scale type melody, and then he'll like sour that with the half step, and that'll set something else up. Um, mm-hmm. Or another good version of how this is used Emperor hits those intervals, the more buzzsaw Emperor and Dark Throne stuff, all hits those intervals hard, but if you're just playing power chords, it's in a more death metal way of creating dissonance, right? Or like the, doing the most abrasive kind of thrash riffing. Um, you're not like hanging on it as part of a minor chord progression. Yeah. And when uh, Gorgoroth does it, they use them as passing tones in Dorian scales. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, in Infernus is a, a once in a generation guitarist. <laughs> we can't we can't yes, compare yes, most is. people to him. Um, well, I guess to to be devil's advocate, weirdly enough, briefly here, I would say it's like I think on a different record, I'd be more critical of the riffing here. Mm-hmm. But given the kind of structural conceit of this album and how the kind of rhythmic ideas are so foregrounded, it's just. I, I don't see the riffing as very exciting, but for me, it's so backgrounded. It, it forms a, a sort of ambient texture to me. Yeah. Um, I just, I can't bring myself to be too concerned about it. It's like, yeah, it's, they're not really my riffs, but they're clearly not the, the sort of leading voice yeah. here. No, I think if you feel good about it, I feel good about it. That's kind of <laughs> well. I, I just wanted to take it as an occasion to talk about that. Does that make sense? Like, no, that's that's fair. Because yeah. there's certain kinds of records where you will really gravitate towards the baseline riff structure, or I will. Right? I'll be like, yeah, they're not fancy riffs, but like they just sound sick, right? Uh, <laughs> and so this this is he's playing in a style where. The baseline riff form may appeal to some of your ears more than it does to ours. Um, That's fair. Yeah, and I was trying to think that through musically. So it's not really about this record. It's about orthodox in general and tendencies built into the riffing that then he's kind of responding to and using musically. Uh, so next sample: Nocturne under the Uninvited. To me, this is easily the standout track. Um, and what it does is it's got sort of the two extreme, it has the, the two major 
strengths of this record. Brutal repetition punctuated by these very dis- determinate moments of high-flying drama. Um, uh, and um, sort of decisive moments in the songs. Um, the sample starts about 45 seconds into the song proper. Uh, and for all 45 seconds, he's been playing this riff. And this is a really good orthodox riff. That one gets me fired up every time. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so what we're, ta- we're talking about there, so you can hear that is a sequence of awesome riffs in this. Uh, they're very faithful to this particular idiom, and they're all really good versions of it. Um, the last one you just heard is the closest to just a buzzsaw and second wave power chord riff, um, but, and he just hits it really hard. Uh, before that, you get this... Um, but the big moment here, right, is the transition between the first two riffs. So the first one is this sort of beautifully phrased two-part kind of gliding vampire riff. You know, the... I can't even hum it, but um, it's, it's too fancy. I think I'm doing bad humming today. Um, but the... Um, uh, but the... The... Um, it's this it's it's very it's good and it has some of that sort of uh lift and sustain and fist pump uh that you get in certain mayhem melodies uh and then it just drops into this and i'm like there that's how these fucking really chromatic minor orthodox riffs should sound like and it's it's really heavy 
And, you know, you know I always like slide riffs, right? Mm-hmm. But in this case, what's important is that it's not a slide riff. He's articulating everything with his left hand, right? And so that's like an orchestra doing glissando runs, you know, where they'll go like, and you're like, how the fuck do they do that, right? Um, uh, or it sounds like the embellishments in the most technical uh, extreme thrash from the 80s, right? It might, it's like a thing Slayer might do. Um, and, uh, you know, that to me is just awesome. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, well, it's. Um, I mean, this is definitely a case where it's like the. This is one of the best articulation of these kinds of riffs yes. on the record. Still, doesn't really change the fact that I'm not really into the bones of these riffs. But I, I, I know a good one when I hear it, and that's a series of really good ones. Like a, a lot of this. Yeah, this- uh, a, a lot of this record is based off of very faithful but very smart interpretations of sort of um stock orthodox riff figures mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and it's another case where it's like i appreciate the rigor you know and yeah, yeah. and is, and i oh go ahead go uh, well i was just gonna say I, I i think that it's definitely a case where people that are more into the kind of orthodox riffing style mm-hmm. it's it's highly recommended to them because they'll probably be able to juice this for more than I can and, and really understand what makes these distinct figures within that realm. I I can't do it, but a lot of you guys listening probably can. So speaking of the rigor, right? uh, One thing that's important about this, right? This is a long, it's an over two minute sample. There are three riffs. None of them repeat, right? There's no a B. There's no like one, two, one, two, three type thing, right? He plays one and two way longer than we'd expect, right? We came in halfway through the riff one sequence. Um, And he's not cycling them on and off. Um, And so when that change up between one and two happens, it just is, it's massive. Um, And it's decisive, right? It, It gives the song a definite direction, right? Clear forward movement towards the end. And even when he changes into that more sort of, uh, uh, power chordy riff at the end. Um, it had there's a huge weight in the changeup. So by by sustaining, unlike certain kinds, well, yeah, I think it is it is a basic principle that if you're doing kind of droning music, the, the droning black metal, the changeups have to be crushing. But in this case, it's not just that they're crushing; they become moments for this kind of. Um, uh, technical flair and grandiosity, right? It's like we put the moment of drama there, right? Instead of it just being like, you know, Eric Danielson dancing around for fucking forty-five minutes. <laughs> you know, uh, well, and it's also and another thing is that it is augmented again by that sort of layered drum performance. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it, big crushing riff comes in at the end. That's when these like shotgun rolls of those uh those added toms come in and those really are like a part of the riff in a sense mm-hmm. you know you, you play that in isolation on guitar it wouldn't be nearly as special without this um bizarre sort of like overly energetic drum performance underneath yeah. and that's a tom version of you really were right on with the comparison to last year's funeral mist right uh, which was album of the year for me but that um Although there were a couple others that easily could have also been, but the um, but that sort of uh, the roles here, the shotgun 
uh, tom rolls are very close to the kind of spattering uh, drum machine, malfunctioning drum machine uh, snare hits. That yeah. Spattering on and off like machine gun fire. Which were so, that last song. some of my favorite stuff on that Funeral Mist record is built oh, around yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this, he may be, he was doing sophisticated drum-driven stuff before this in the corner stuff, but like the, um, uh, the kind of, um, but it's possible that he was tuned into that Funeral Mist record too. Yeah, or or at least he's listening to the same stuff that lead that led Funeral Mist to that idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so real quick, my next sample. So this uh, this album is structured in a weird way. Uh, it's it's very clearly you're supposed to listen to it from front to back. It's not it's not very songy. Um, there's about four um, pretty distinct full songs, and then there's another four uh, sort of like odd interlude tracks. And when I say interlude, I'm not just talking about meaningless ambience. I'm talking about really sort of bridging ideas between larger pieces. And I want to play one of them in full. Uh, A song called uh, Lunar Emblem Sign of Night, which is actually probably my single favorite thing on the record. The, Um, The titles are great. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like... This is real black metal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there you go. Um, so, Lunar Emblem, Sign of Night is a one riff song, um, but it's obviously it's not about the riff. But it's probably my favorite riff on the record. It's this cool sort of swaying nautical black doom riff that I think is really mm. neat. Um, but I, something really interesting happens here, and I, I think when I listen to some of these sort of interlude tracks, I imagine. Uh, I imagine an album that is just 20 of these sorts of things, these sort of like micro songs, these experimental bridging ideas. And I think you could get something very similar to the effect of this entire record out of just stuff like this. And uh, when we play it through, I'm just going to play the whole thing because it's pretty brief. Uh, I'm interested in what you think about this as the sort of uh, connective tissue of the whole album.
so yeah, for me, this is like kind of the high point of the record. I mean, it's a weird place to say is the high point for a black metal album, but this really Some grabs might me. I almost suspect you of being a contrarian. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think yeah. it, it's like contrarianism. I know, to, it's a joke. To some extent, we're both contrarians, obviously, or we wouldn't have a fucking podcast. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, no, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, but elaborate. Well, I, I, I think that... Um, so this kind of gets clear of some of the reticence I have over the more like orthodox riffing. It really strips the record down into its constituent parts. Uh, so you've got the the weird vocals. We haven't really talked about the vocals on this record, which are mm-hmm. constantly bouncing between channels, trying to be really disorienting. Um, it's got a, a cool, simple, but elegant riff kind of rooting everything. Mm-hmm. It's still got the, uh, the double-tracked drums with the kind of tribal toms overlaying it, so it's still, uh, you know, within the conceit of the whole album. Yeah, it's and, not just an isolated interlude. Yeah, no, it's uh, it it is part of the continuum of the whole album, and uh, I just like the atmosphere. I even like you know thirty seconds of just witches cackling at the end. I'm I'm really down for uh, uh, conniving witches in black metal. I I really like sort of like feminine witchy stuff in black metal. I I don't know. You don't yeah. hear a lot of that these days. So. Yeah, no, this is definitely... Well, I think we're hearing more of it. Yeah, nowadays we are, yeah. Maybe not witchy in every case, but certainly this more lunar tendency, whether it's music that actually sounds feminine or sounds like it's kind of striving towards and worshipping the feminine, right? The the best example being that fucking... um, The Narboleth uh, record, yeah. Narboleth from last year, and before that, although with a very different mood, uh, the Flamen record, which I just think is outstanding, and I should mention more on the show. Um, but, um, and we've, we've gotten a few other things like that, but this is certainly a lot of orthodox stuff is like that. Often it can be in this sort of anti-cosmic red dragon, sort of Tiamat, mother of night, you know, hoist thy formless bulk up from the depths. No, this is, um, this is a lot more kind of carnal and horny in a cool way, you know? (laughs) Exactly. This is concrete, carnal and horny sort of worship of the nocturnal feminine, you know, the, the, the Lilith or like the it's the Kali Yuga but I feel pretty good about that yeah that, yeah we're yeah, gonna fuck a like, lot we're gonna fuck yeah, a yeah, lot during the Kali Yuga yeah yeah at least at least we can fuck a lot um, <laughs> and uh, so it's it's definitely got that very authentically going on throughout and I think that's one of the strong points of the record um uh, yeah, and I, I like this. I get know what you mean about this. I personally really like the last of these sort of non-interludes. Basically, the last of these short songs. Mm-hmm. They're the things that are most song-like on the record, right? Uh, the last one sounds a lot like Blood from Air, Blood from the Air, or Blood from Air, something like that by Coil. Um, I'm sure this guy's super into Coil, uh, and you know, definitely a similar kind of cracked eroticism. Mm-hmm. Oil records, uh, of course, more more oriented towards uh, worship, towards uh, the masculine, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, but um, uh, but very uh, like it, it's what makes these tracks substantive is that he's not just doing spoopy interludes. He clearly listens to sophisticated and highly musical post-industrial stuff. Um, so finally. Um, intentional. I've done some intentional overlap between our samples. 
Uh, speaking of great song titles, let's just listen to a couple minutes from uh, Reflecting Skull. And uh, this is really written as a full album, and you can tell because this transition is the definition of uh, coming in hot. So that is some aggressive riffing. Yeah, that song. It, it it's uh and and the drum really fast drumming here. I mean, off the blasting, like the you know like the um, funeral mist from last year. This guy comfortably goes from a fast blast to a faster blast as he <laughs> songs. Um, he does that hardcore here. Um, and uh. The kind of riffing there at the beginning is awesome. So I think this is one of the most just, yeah, yeah, muscular riffy parts on the record. The rest of the track is, well, yeah, let's talk about what we just heard. It's, um, this is real, like, attack riffing. And although they're not all power chords, it's they're, they're thinner chords. They're not these big, blocky chords. Um, Th- so this, is, this is sort more- of... This is like the most second wavy, or at least exactly. like Marduk kind of thing on the record. Narrowed, narrowed, focused melody. Yes, exactly. So they're doing a kind of thing. I was thinking of Marduk, and actually, the Avsky blast riffing is that it, it mm-hmm. has this this sinew, this like convulsing kind of blasted pedal point thing, where in this case you're constantly like you're sort of ritually dropping from the five or the six or the octave down to the root. And you're doing it in a kind of uh, drawn out syncopated way. So it just, um, yeah. And that's like, that's almost like a, a convulsive kind of hardcore riff at its heart. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm learning. I'm learning, Dad. <laughs> exactly. It has the qualities that make a good D beat riff. The rhythmic structure is different, but it works by exactly the same principles, right? I mean, yeah, because yeah. good D beat riffs to you are always about this like flaring out and then compressing in. Yeah. You know? Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a great way of putting that. And so, yeah. So the, here, it's used over this sustained blast to give you just this like this this rolling headbanging feeling. Like, um, and, you know, the, the irony is that even though this is super reclusive, rattling, dry, one man, uh, one man occult black metal, uh, this would just, this would just be so killer live.
Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with our final record of the night. And uh, this one intersects with the co-prosperity sphere in a couple ways. Uh, This is the uh, new record by Cold Crypt titled, uh, how do you pronounce this in French? Holocaust Global? You know? Yeah, uh, Holocaust Global. Yeah. Holocaust Global. Global. You always yeah. say it's like just do a stereotypical French accent. It's more correct, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and this is released on Bapa da Ba Hessian Firm, uh, where we've basically become the, uh, the the podcast promotional group for for that fucking label. And uh, additionally, related to the co prosperity sphere, uh, the actual real promotion for this record is being done by james from cave dweller music who has his own uh, promotional outfit right now and is assisting nick from hessian firm in promoting this record so uh you know, there you go guys this is paying you off for the next year you know <laughs> i hope the check's in the mail as you guys said all right so uh cold crypt um at first blush seems like a big departure for Hessian Firm. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the band's second full-length record. First one was in 2016. It was titled Full Moon. Not familiar with it. So, okay, we've got something new here. Um, this is... Okay, how do I phrase this? Okay, so the, the core of this record is French black metal. And I I leave that kind of open because it's several kinds of French black metal at once. Um, You're going to hear a lot of big riffs in the sort of Seigneur Valand, Crystal Knock tradition. You're going to hear some ugly, nasty, but still kind of romantic stuff like mutilation. And then you're going to hear even little brushes with more epic sort of antic type stuff. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But that's only the beginning of the story. Uh, really, this is a record that accesses all kinds of reaches of black metal. Um, there is stuff that is extremely DSBM. There is stuff that reminds me of like uh, limbonic art. There's touches of symphonic stuff around here. There's post-black on here. It's a really wide-reaching and far-ranging record. And, uh, you know, when I when I first started this record, listening to it for the show, I was like, this is really weird for Hessian Firm, which is kind of specialized. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of specialized in, you know, what they call, in some sense, dark metal. A sort of, like, death-leaning black death fusion uh, that tends to uh, lean on pretty high technicality and pretty complex songwriting. Uh, And there's really not a lot of the death metal here. But then I started to think about it uh, in a sort of a higher level structural way. And I was like, okay, this does make sense. So the essence isn't necessarily death metal riffing for this style, so Mm. to speak. It's about the structural conceits. And Mm. I can say, yeah, this Cold Crypt record, while riff to riff might be simpler than a lot of stuff on Hessian Firm, um, structurally it's as complex as anything else on the label yeah which Um, really just threw me for a loop yeah this is you 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 go through a lot of stages listening to this record you think you've got your head wrapped around it and then it Mm. just totally kicks you sideways with something new yeah so like you know the record leads off with this just massive sort of slow senior volant type riff and you can immediately hear that this is a good band, right? Like a guy who knows how to play those kinds of riffs 
not in the way of nowadays sort of raw tape black clones, but like in the vein of a raw black band, a real raw black metal band from the early 2000s, like coming directly in the wake of like Senor Blonde or whatever, right? You can hear how it's authentic and you're just like, whoa, who would have thought having these big, simple flowing riffs on Hessian Firm? And then almost instantly it shifts gears. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it continues to do that. It, it You probably have to get like two thirds of the way through the album before you've heard everything these guys can do. Yeah. What, what I, I told you, yeah, I said somewhere in the notes, it's like, um, <laughs> or maybe it, it, it's like you keep thinking, whoa, that was a clever head fake until you realize they're not like head fakes. They're like actual, they're clearly defined moves in a developing structure and the thing that you thought off was thought was like a one-off almost a musical joke or punctuation mark is actually like going to come back again at sort of like unpredictable but gracefully structured intervals yeah. it's basically structured like a fucking symphony yeah and it's he, um he introduces two trading theme not trading themes but trading theme types at the beginning right we've got our sort of tr you know our sort of a thing he gets about that early uh raw french stuff like the senior volant especially is that it's not it's triumphant sort of but not at all in the way it's been flattened into now it's very scowling music um and you know and very melancholy also and he hits that hard at the beginning these sort of like glorious melancholy riffs and then throws us into something much uglier and for the rest of the record he's swapping between those ideas but and all sorts of things on the spectrum between them and beyond yeah this is a, a yeah it's, it's it's like <coughs> excuse me um it's like you said there, there's a lot of figures in this record that you think are sort of like head fake moments but then you realize the head fake has transitioned to, into a new three minute section of mm, yeah. perpetually escalating and elaborating ideas um this is not a riff salad record in the sense that uh you know, there there's extremely angular kind of key changes and transitions throughout this album, but they are not one-off moments. They are substantial musical movements. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That uh, you know, when one of those abrupt key changes occurs, you're not getting a single riff and then back into the main motif. No, you're going to listen to an escalating series of three, four, five riffs within this new motif before it transitions to something else. So, despite the sort of um, aesthetic of this music, which is sort of, um, I describe it as like 2000 CDR black metal. Yeah, yeah. Th this is kind of like the highest articulation of that idea. The, the actual... Um, Structural underpinnings of this music are far deeper and far more complex than anything you would have heard from that era. And that juxtaposition of ideas, you know, this this sort of like um, low art presentation. Yeah, uh, yeah. It seems it seems janky. Right. It, it, like, yeah, it's way. it's it's deliberate like, like Eurojank to a degree. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and Euro but it's only two thousand. Yeah, but then it's only when you listen yeah. to the 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 way these songs unfold in this kind of processional uh, movement based way that you realize, holy shit, this is actually kind of brilliant. It's just yeah. um, it's almost like he it's almost like he drew out the structure on a piece of paper with like this kind of riff here, this kind of riff here, and then filled it in. Yeah, he I filled in the think, actual I riffs. Yeah. I don't think that's actually how he wrote it, but it has such a feeling of top-down structure it's like you know um certain people uh, you, you know you can aspire to symphonic structure and black metal and this band in part because it's not showy about it at all and doesn't overstress the details of that really kind of nails it yeah absolutely um, so <laughs> with what you were saying, you were talking about, oh, so we're going to open with a, a giant kind of senior Valon riff and then yeah. it's going to go somewhere different. Well, I've got that exactly. <laughs> so here's one for the kids, but here's uh, one for the, the kids. kids. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, this is, uh, this is off the, so there's a kind of a long intro track. And then the first main song is called, uh, all obliettes. What is that? Like from crypts? Oh, something I'll, like that. Obliettes. Uh, yeah, oubliette. It means like to the dungeons, and oubliette is a kind of dungeon that you would have specifically. It's a floor trap. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Like yeah. so, when the guys charge into your hall, you uh, you you grin and you pull the chain, and they fall into the dungeon below. <laughs> right. So, okay. So um, the uh, we're gonna start a couple minutes in, and the first couple minutes is absorbed in a sequence of brilliant kind of like Seigneur Valon meets Melodeth lead riffing. It's it's genius. This is catnip for me, and you're gonna hear more of that. But then something very different happens. <laughs>
dude so it, it's literally just like you said it was like i was started listening okay get past the intro here sick kind of senior Valon meets like big melodeath riffs because uh, this guy is also in a uh, a melodeath band um so it all kind of makes sense okay so french guy that's into black metal he's also into melodeath okay this all scans then that break into that kind of like gnarly um sort of like modernized lln thing happens and and then you're like okay all bets are off on this album you can, already you can hear just there's this moment where it like stops and he just sort of eases into those first two notes just bends it up by a tr- you know bends it up a fifth and try and you're just like you can hear him grin when he does that <laughs> yeah he's like oh this is gonna freak the squares you know <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. and you know it's like um this is such a man this is a this is a cool fucking record man because yeah. like the impulses behind this are um they're just so very again like 2000 cdr stuff and and shit that nobody really knows or cares about um Mm -hmm. like like the the most there was so much stuff in the 2000s that was going on that was absurdly elaborate like brilliant music but it was only ever released on like you know, 50 copies on CDR and everyone forgot it. Like, uh, nobody knows about a band from, uh, looking it up right now, a band from Tennessee called uh, Firth of Damnation, uh, who were doing this exquisitely complex sort of like semi-symphonic black metal, but very kind of technical in general. Um, Nobody knows about it. It's all CDR stuff. (laughs) It's just, uh, it's some of the coolest shit in the world, but nobody knows about it. And this channels that essence of like very kind of, you've got this sort of flat digital production, which I really kind of like in this context really allows you to concentrate just on the pure riffing and structure of the music. Um, and it just constantly throws you for a loop. It's not beholden to any standards of what a certain kind of metal is supposed to be like. Clearly, there is a, a core of French black metal operating as sort of the, the principal foundation of yes. this music, but all bets are off beyond that. There's a sensibility. He has a, There's a sensibility guiding this, not a preconceived idea of genre. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's not like, yeah. oh, he's beyond genres. It's that he knows what genres are and how to work with them. Yeah, like you can you can imagine in the beginning of that sample that this guy this is a guy who knows exactly what he's doing. We have a sort of Seigneur Valand riff against a very sort of slaughter of the soul lead guitar part. He knows what the constituent parts are and he knows the effect that it will have. And the the problem is a lot of people, especially non-musicians, think, you know, it's like, oh, well, he knows what he's doing. That's a trick. No, it's just cool. It's just a good idea. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's craftsmanship, right? It's that Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the uh, tech nuts and bolts technique and know-how and sense of history that allows you to do the art. Yes, um, yes, hundred percent. It's, it's and um, and that's a thing that um, that's actually cool that you brought that up. This is a, a great example of a record that kind of blurs the pseudo lines that I've talked about between like craftsman's music and art music. Th- this is music that shows you how you take 
the sort of nuts and bolts craftsmanship and make something really artistic and unique and compelling out of it. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yes, because it's kind of like garage, you know, garage one-man project, but it's not a sort of uh, proficient genre exercise. Yeah. Um, no, there is there's something special about this. Yeah. Very special, very weird. Another thing it reminds me of in terms of the more epic riffing is just in terms of the do you, like in terms of that specific kind of early, like before it was cool senor janky senor volant worship do you, do you know like who's the band who did follow the wolves to my grave follow the wolves to my it was grave like, it was, you showed me them it's some sort of totally ridiculous usbm that's like these french bands plus satanic warmaster on crack are you just thinking of Wolves Guard My Coffin by Behemoth? <laughs> no, I, I swear that was a song title. Maybe I'm getting it wrong, but... Uh, it's something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it, was it just called Warwolf? Warwolf? Yeah, I don't know. Never mind, guys. I'm tripping. Um, <laughs> so We'll figure it out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll go to Divine Inquisition. Um... This uh, is a it, huge song. This is probably the centerpiece of the record. Yeah, I almost left this moment for you, but then I was like, it's actually easier if I take the big moment. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, so the first, the, the after that initial sort of scronkifying that we just heard, the album sort of continues in that vein, sort of a sour French vampiric stuff in the old way, mutilation way, um, and sort of... Uh, depressive punky kind of shit right very trench coat energy um and it hits a kind of deliberately drab continuum that almost although sonically really different mood is a little like thy light or something mm -hmm. um with more drama more grit less uniformity uh but then finally we, we get to this just you know t i was talking about decisive turning points in songs on the um on our last review Here's a decisive turning point in the album.
dude, you can just hear when that lead comes. Like, that's, there's a, um, I think one thing I like it about it is that he's playing it in the way that uh, you play RAC, right? It's, um, like, these are very fancy mellow death and heavy metal riffs, but they're kind of being used in this stripped-down, stompy context. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you want to hear a, a more traditional example of that, the Sealand Volanen record from last year is a good example of this kind of RAC-style heavy metal leads put flamboyant heavy metal leads installed in just vicious stomping black metal um here the, they're even more over the top and just much closer to just like actual weedly woodly guitar heroics right i mean i was just like like sticking my tongue out and waggling it from side to side yeah 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 um but it's still got this stompy fighting bass to it mm-hmm. um and it's um and this driving chord progression and it's also just really good you know it's just like yeah, I mean, I I don't like long hair rocker bullshit, but I do like heavy metal. <laughs> and I think I've acquired much more of a taste for heavy metal through this show, to be honest. Well, yeah, I mean, you were talking on the uh, the uh, uh, end of year episode mm-hmm. last year. It was yeah. like, it was the black metal guy di- rediscovering heavy metal, so well, to speak. Kind of just discovering, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Into this music backwards, you know. Um yeah, probably like most of our listeners did. You know, you, you 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 start with Morbid Angel and then you find Iron Maiden a few years back. You know? Yeah, yeah, you go you go to yeah you go from hardcore to black metal to death metal to uh, heavy metal. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so this is um yeah that's just fantastic, right? And the other part I really like there is that it's juxtaposed just with one of the most, with the most obnoxious riff on the record. Oh yeah, that 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 just crunchy fucking like melodic metalcore riff. Yeah. No, no, like no, the sawing dissonant one. Oh, oh, that uh, one. Yeah, yeah. The one before, you know, that's like a um, that is very Avski or Soren, um, just like nasty Swedish chromatic stuff, um, and um. That's a good example of there's been a more wandering, depressive dissonance for the for last 10 minutes before that. And then there it just locks into these very focused, narrowed tones that are just like, I don't know, probably like like just sliding tritone stacks or something, right? It's just fucking nasty. Um, and uh, so you, you hit, it locks in there, and then it throws into just this glorious sequence of melodic heavy metal riffs. Um and that really just turns the album again. Yeah, it's it, every time you think that all of the tricks have been pulled out of the bag, mm-hmm. there's there's always something new. And exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's like you it, the pacing of this record is remarkable. Because, you know, most extreme metal records, and not in a bad way, usually show you all of their tricks within the first two or three songs. This is a record that holds itself back through nearly the end of the album. I like, mean, it, almost to the, to the end of the album, I am asking myself, like I would, I don't know, you know, like, like I would in a certain kind of movie or something, I am trying to figure out how it's going to end. I'm not, I'm not that invested in narrative as a paradigm of structure for music. Mm-hmm. Um, but this album 
nail it's certainly a legitimate level for things to work on this album nails it to the point where it's got me being like the bitch of the plot <laughs> um, how's it, I'm just like, oh, how's it gonna end? I need to know. Get the plot. Um, you know, you're uh, looking up. You're looking up spoilers online yeah, while you're yeah. listening to it. It's, it's like I, I'm like, fuck. Where's it? Go? Like, I I'm an experienced metal listener. I know how he's gonna end this. Okay, here he goes. Right, he must be dialing it in soon. Dialing it back soon. No, well, there it goes again. It's just the epitome of like, but wait, there's more. Oh yeah, no, it's a uh, it's it's kind of remarkable how many ideas this guy manages to pack into the record, and and still make them, uh, still give them a, a continuum thematically, you know, yeah. mo- moods moods shift abruptly on this record, but not totally without warning, you know. There's one of, one of the dumbest themes in black metal is everybody dying. Right, it's a great <laughs> cop out. It's a great cop out. It's just like great. You haven't had to say anything or have any ideas or offend anyone. Right, just everyone fucking dies. Um, and y- you know, great. Okay, that's so. Um, this record is pretty much about everyone fucking dying, as far as I can tell. Yeah. This is, you know, this is um, uh, it's very apocalyptic. And and it's definitely like everyone's fucking dying, and it's a good thing. But like, (laughs) I don't know. It might be the most convincing version of that I've ever heard. Well, it's convincing because it's stoked about it. (laughs) Well, because and 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 in not not in a forced way. In a way, almost like the last track is called. There's a kind of like the last track is called fungus. It kind of reminds me of. uh, I was watching Nausicaa in the Valley of the Winds with my girlfriend, like the first Miyazaki movie. Yeah. It's really fucking good. Um, And the whole thing is that it's kind of post-apocalyptic wasteland, and the thing that seems like the enemy of life, the forest of decay, is so toxic only because it's processing toxins and sort of purifying the earth. And it's all just fungus and bugs and like the overgrown weird trees and shit like that. And so it's kind of like fungus growing out of the earth again on the last track. Yeah, you you, you have to have the rebirth after the apocalypse, man. You know, mm-hmm. after the Kali Yuga is the state of new re- regrowth, mm-hmm. so to speak. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of uh, tricks pulled out late in the record, uh, Agoraphobia, uh, the uh, the second to last song on the album. So clearly nothing's off the table for this music, but it still manages to surprise you because out of nowhere on the last couple tracks, a giant post-black influence pops up out of nowhere. And really, even more than post-black, it's like specifically Deaf Heaven type stuff. Oh, and Um, also, I mean, he's drawing on the most objectionable kinds of post-black. Yes! (laughs) The guitar tone, the Weedly guitars in these latter two songs sound less like heavy metal and more like Agaloc. Yeah, yeah. Like, I thought Ashes Against the Grain was, in some ways, had some pretty cool songs on it, but there's this weedly woodly guitar stuff that makes it completely unlistenable to me now. This guy does that, but, like, nails it. Yeah, I I, I will say my only caveat is, like, the first couple minutes of Fungus might be, like, a little bit too far even for me, but... (laughs) 
but agoraphobia there's a and uh, toward the end there is an absurd sequence of riffs that shouldn't work at all you've got this like wonky clean guitar part into straight up death heaven sort of screamo black metal into uh vindir into a, a huge climactic dual guitar harmony and uh it, it, it's just, in a sense, like, yeah, it's all the most objectionable parts of modern extreme metal tied together just end to end. And somehow, goddammit, it really works. So, Black Metal Guy, have we finally found the acceptable articulation of a Death Heaven riff for you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's funny. So many of those, if I heard them on their own, especially that noodly lead over the last thing, yeah. like, if I heard that on its own or in a sustained way, I would hate it, right? But somehow in the kind of... Uh, in moving quickly between these different ideas... And, uh, you know, using them to build this much longer musical statement, it's pretty compelling. And it's also just fun to listen to. Like, it's, there's a, uh, there's a non-cheap novelty to the way he organizes songs. It's just inventive. And it's just like, okay, what's he going to do? How can he sell me on this bullshit post-Black Riff, right? It's, um, like, and he does, uh... Yeah, so that that big blasty riff that was a Death Heaven type riff. Uh, yeah, the, so you've yeah. got the 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 clean riff, and then you've got sort of a, a micro like 
windier riff and mm-hmm. then after that the big like constantly ascending one is super so, death heaven okay that makes sense yeah yeah like a whole album of that well we know i can't stand <laughs> he, he he uses it well here as a punctuation mark and it's also i think that's on the riffy side for death heaven at least from what I remember. They're yeah, it's like it's like big, it's, they're usually they're, they're often just these pretty vacuously pretty block chord sequences. But like that that has some riffiness to it. Yeah, that would be you know like the walnut tree off of uh, mm-hmm. Sunbather or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you, you you have a point, which is like this is a record that manages to really bridge the gap between like high level structural interest and just moment to moment excitement which is um really hard to do like harder than a lot of people realize to make something that is very compelling in a sort of like you know high-handed artistic way in terms of you know how it's arranged but also continuously exciting and enthusiastic throughout yeah so um you know like uh we, we uh, so for my last sample, I've already said some stuff about fungus, and so, and I've also got to go get drunk, so we're gonna keep this one pretty brief. But um, I, just anything else I need to say before this, it's like this is the longest track on the album. It's the last one. It's this flourishing of life out of death, um, and this is this track in particular is is that epitome of that track that can't stop always seems like it's going to end keeps going in a cool way um it it it's kind of it's less like just a sustained climax than a very dramatic final part of a story and it closes in a real what you pointed out this about another hessian release the into oblivion ep we loved two years ago right it has a falling action section uh some people just don't know how to end a song anymore, right? These guys, this guy excels at doing it. We get a falling action at the end. Um, and uh, what I've got for you now is um, possibly the most bloated sample ever on Terminus, because how can I fucking sample two minutes of this?
Yeah.